Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gast, and this is episode number 60, 60 of The Currency Podcast. We're crushing it, people, 60 episodes out as of today. I'm grateful for you joining me. Today's topic is Lulu's Lemons. Lulu's Lemons. We're going to talk about Lululemon and a little bit of a misstep that they had recently. And the only reason I want to talk about it, I mean, first of all, it's just funny. I, I want to cover this misstep because I think it's... Um, it's ironic, but it's also, I think it provides kind of a foil or a backdrop to talk about a deeper, more important, more substantive topic. But thank you for joining me. If you are listening to this uh, after the fact, the show goes live, just so that you're aware. I say it every time on YouTube. It goes live on YouTube, uh, usually Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern. We have a crowd of people. And by crowd, I mean about five people, <laughs> a crowd of people. No, six. Uh, we have six right now. But you should get a handful of people that come on, uh, jump into the comments. It is kind of fun. One of the things about it being a little bit of a smaller show is there's a lot of intimacy. We get to have some fun conversations back and forth, some chit chats and so on. But I'm really grateful to have you guys along. The whole concept behind the currency is that it is all about ideas, the power of ideas, that the, the currency Uh, If you think of a river flowing, it's current. You think of money, meaning wealth has currency. It's able to move around. And I kind of thought about this podcast as an opportunity to talk about ideas because I believe ideas have currency. They move around, they impact things, they change the topography over time, and they help us accomplish things that we want to accomplish. So I want to uh, name it the currency because it's an opportunity for us to talk about ideas. So here we are today. It is Sunday. Uh, I think it's September 13th, I think. Um, and we're halfway into the month of September. The weather is changing. I'm wearing, those of you who can't see, I am wearing a uh, Hawaiian shirt. It's kind of uh, passe, like to wear uh, or gauche. Or I'm not sure what the, the right word is, but it's, it's not right to wear a Hawaiian shirt after Labor Day. Uh, just like wearing white shoes and white slacks. But I wanted to get one more wear in before... Uh, the cold weather hits. And it is, I'm already starting to see some leaves change on the trees. You know, I'm driving around, I'm seeing splashes of red and yellow. And um, yeah, not too happy about that. So anyway, uh, it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about the changing of the seasons. But what I can do is I can address topics. So what I want to do today, I want to open up with a little bit of a news section. I want to just talk about a few things that are in the news. We're not going to go deep into these things, but there are a few stories I thought worth mentioning. And I want to talk about those. And then we're going to jump into the Lululemon uh, fiasco. I think that's just such an interesting topic. And then we'll go from there. So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Cuties. Netflix came out with this show. It's not Netflix. I mean, it's, it's a movie and, and uh, called Cuties. And I, I want to cover it as a news story. It, it really should be a whole episode of The Currency. But here's the thing. This, this, um, this movie showed in, in uh, I think, Cannes. Is it Cannes? Canes? Cannes? I don't know. But it showed, and it's kind of hyper-sexualizing young girls, essentially. And it's about this little Muslim girl who kind of rebels against her family and gets into twerking. Now, the reason I'm not going to cover this show in a deeper this movie, I keep saying show, this movie in a deeper, uh, like dedicate a whole episode to it is because I think to do it justice, I'd have to watch the movie to be able to really comment on it. Right now, there's a lot of uproar um, in the public online and so on, because this, you know, the director, the, the creator of the film and Netflix and a bunch of people are saying, no, 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 no. This is all about trying to show why sexualizing children is bad. 
That's what this movie's all about. But if, but from what I've heard, if you watch the movie, it really doesn't communicate that explicitly. Uh, it, it hypersexualizes the children. And some reviewers, and shame on them, are saying, yeah, like I'm looking at these 11, 12-year-old 12 12 girls and it's a bit of a turn-on. And, um, and so they're, you know, they're postulating in their kind of postmodernist way that, oh, well, that, that's what the director's trying to do to make us feel uncomfortable with our own feelings, et cetera. I just, I, I don't want to have to go through the, the, I don't want to do damage to my own soul watching something that is predatory and immoral just so that I can commentate on it. And I, but I do think it's worth actually bringing up. So, you know, there's this big controversy, but this movie cuties and a lot of people are boycotting. Yeah, we decide to kill our Netflix subscription for a little while just to let them feel it. And, and they have been feeling it. They're, um, uh, their, their revenues dropping pretty quickly, but you know, this, this, um, I want to bring it up because I think it's important to question this postmodernist idea that you, if you contextualize something in the right way, it becomes okay. You know, at some point we have to ask ourselves the question, like when, when is something just not right? When is something just not right? Now, there are always people trying to push the line, and I think artists do this. Artists are always trying to shock us, to make us feel something. This wasn't always the case. Art used to be to used to communicate beauty. It was to idealize and to communicate and to create beauty. Think of the Greek statues. Think of some of the, the, the English landscape painters throughout. You, know, they just, you can go through all throughout history. Musicians, painters, sculptors, and so on poets, writers, they were always trying to capture some element of beauty and to communicate that, the, the human spirit and, and desire for aesthetic beauty, the beauty of life, the beauty of thought, and so on. Now, something changed. Our art kind of hit this wall at some point where it became hard to do anything unique or new. It had all been done before, and the artists felt frustrated. And they didn't like the constraints of the classical approach to art, this idea of beauty, and started to rebel against that. And again, this is kind of the deconstructionist um, Frankfurt School. We're going to deconstruct and reformulate art in our, in the way that we want it to be uh, it, it, in this postmodernist idea that I'm going to reinterpret something through my own lens. There is no truth. There is no true beauty. There's no necessary objective beauty. Beauty is what I decide it is. And I don't have to show you beauty. I can show you horrendous, shocking, uh, you know, things that will upset you and move you. And, and, and so art became this thing of, of trying to move the viewer. It became a thing of expression. I just want to express myself. It doesn't matter what you think about my expression. I'm not going to justify my expression. I have a right to express myself. And, um, and it's not my job to, to help you understand what it is I'm expressing. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter because that's for me. And if you come to my artwork and you have your own feelings and thoughts about, well, then, then that's good enough. It's this very postmodern, we all live our own truths. And beauty is not something to be idealized anymore. Beauty is not real, it's fake. And so now we have to deal with the more harsh realities of the world we live in and embrace them as a sort of beautiful thing. And this is where you get things like Robert Maplethorpe's Piss Christ back in the, was that the 90s? I don't remember when that was, late 80s or 90s, I forget. It was, you know, very shocking and, and it upset people. And that's just what he wanted. I mean, he, that's what Maplethorpe wanted. And, you know, art now struggles to, to move people. 
And it's become so intertwined with commercialism and so on. And so you get a movie like Cuties, which is depicting young uh, 12, 11-year-old girls uh, being hypersexualized, twerking, and being viewed as these kind of um, sexual beings. Now, look, every human being, as we mature, becomes sexual beings. I mean, that's just part of the maturation of any animal in the, in the natural world. They, as they go through their immaturity into maturity, they become sexual beings. And I don't have to go through a whole biology class for anybody watching this, but that's, it's not uh, bad to think about human beings as being sexual beings. That's part of who we are. But to take children and to strip away their innocence and to cast them into this um, role uh, that, that's really troubling. And, and it doesn't call out, it doesn't call out what's wrong. It shows rebellion against family, rebellion against your family's morals, your family's traditions, your family's um, standards, uh, rebellion against the authority in your families. And then you can do whatever you want. And the way that you rebel against your family is to become hypersexualized. It's just, a, it's, there's so much that's wrong about it. Now, I wanted, like I said, I, I would love to go deeper into this, but I wanted to call it out because I thought it was interesting that this is kind of like a line and uh, there's been quite a backlash. And interestingly, the backlash has been both on the right and the left. I mean, the left has been upset. Uh, some folks on the left have been upset that um, it depicts a young girl rebelling against her Muslim family. And uh, on the right, they're just upset that it's kitty porn. And um, it'll be interesting to see where this thing shakes out. So just kind of an interesting, uh, just real quick, Pauline threw in a comment. She said, I am not sure we needed a movie for us to know child exploita exploitation is bad. Exactly. And this is the thing. If, you, if you're trying to move people and you're trying to get their attention, you could absolutely do a movie about this in a way that makes people sympathetic to the plight of protecting a child's innocent. You could absolutely put together a film that shows uh, the dangers and the evil behind it without glorifying it. And that's the problem. They glorify it as if, you know, because this is art somehow and this is beautiful. And uh, I, again, I would love to be able to comment on it more. I'm not willing to watch it. I'm not willing to do that to my own soul. And, um, and I just, I, I'm going to stand by my own standard. I'm saying it's not right for Netflix to put this out. And it's that I'm saying it's not right for me to watch it so I can review it for you, but um, very troubling. Pauline says, uh, and Netflix isn't an art house or film festival festival where context would make more sense. Uh, 100%. And even if they were, I just, there's certain lines. It's like, you know, the ancients had this idea that, that limitations, constrictions, structures were good for us. And that it was a truly intelligent, truly beautiful, truly gifted human being that could express themselves within those structures, forms, and limitations. And the better you are able to express yourself within those forms, structures, and limitations, you know, the, the more elevated and respected you were. And in our culture, it's the opposite. We're like, oh my gosh, I don't want any limitations. Any limitations uh, hinder me. They don't allow for my free expression. I have to be free to do whatever I feel and want. And I've felt, and I've, I've been convicted, I've been thinking about this, um, for my own personal life that uh, I need to impose more structure and limitations upon myself. Specifically, I was talking to uh, Mrs. G about this, to Lydia. I swear a lot. Now, maybe not, a, not on camera, but I, like, I've got a mouth. And I always, I always have, but the last handful of years, I've just really gotten too casual with that. And I realize 
uh, first of all, that, that that's not becoming of somebody. And, uh, but also it, 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 it betrays a lack of imagination. If I can't communicate my feelings and thoughts uh, without swearing, now, I'm not saying that I swear like 24-7. I just, it just, I default to swearing pretty easily, pretty quickly. And I realize like if I can't find a way to communicate without using curse words, then I'm very, um, it's, it betrays a lack of intelligence, a lack of imagination, a lack of creativity, a lack, a lack of depth, a lack of discipline. And so I've kind of comment, or committed to myself uh, that I need to work on that. That's just like a personal thing. But you know, in our culture, we just don't want to have limits. And I think this is an example. This Cuties movie is an example that there's a certain part of the population that doesn't want to have limits. Well, at what point does your desire for quote unquote art and deep messages that you can, you know, deconstruct and act all intelligent when you do your YouTube uh, video essay on it. Uh, what about the children? I, I just, it's like, at what point are you okay? At what point do you realize you're consuming someone else's soul, someone else's future, someone else's life for your pleasure? I just don't, I don't get it. Anyway, uh, that's opening on a very positive note. Welcome. I hope I hope you hit that subscribe button. Give me a thumbs up and like, ladies and gentlemen. There's more where this came from. <laughs> uh, Zoltan says, uh, not all art is for public viewing. Well, that, you know, there are some things in life that are private. I would still argue if we're talking specifically about cuties, like I agree with your principle. I don't have a problem with that. But if we're talking about cuties, that you just can't, there's no way to excuse what it is. It's just... Uh, taking advantage of children and, and portraying children in a light that it's, it's just evil, just immoral. Strip some of their innocence. Pauline says that's a Catholic idea too. You are most free when you know the boundaries and you know your God. Yeah, and see, that's also a, a, a tenet of conservatism, uh, which the Catholic Church is probably aligned with. But, you know, this idea that limitations are good. And, you know, I ran a design firm for 15 years, and the design firm had all kinds of people, different political persuasions, but great designers and, and a lot of the people that worked for me, they understood, didn't matter where they came from politically, they understood that limitations created the best design. The worst thing you could ever have in a, in a design meeting with a client, the clients say, hey, I want to hire you guys and I want a new logo. And you start asking them questions because you're trying to put some limitations on the project, not financial, like, well, we want to quick get this done with, but we want to ask questions to start to, to take things off the table so that we can focus more and do deeper, more creative work with limited tools, limited opportunities, limited um, options. But it, the, the worst situation is the client goes, well, I don't want to influence any of your thinking. I don't want to say anything about the company. I don't want to drive you in one direction. I just want to see what you guys come up with. And clearly those are people that don't understand how good design is created or, or art is actually created because in their mind, the artist has this blank canvas and this magical muse comes and inspires them and, and does this amazing thing. Great design comes from limitations. Great design comes from constrictions and guardrails and thou shalt not pass lines where you go, okay, I can't do this. I can't do this. What can I do? And that's where the real human ingenuity comes into play because now you're solving a real problem. You're not just expressing yourself. You're not just, you know, putting something on a piece of paper to make you feel good. You're coming up with something that's a lot deeper. Now, can you hear that? That's uh, Isabella in the background. I don't know what just happened out front, but she's keeping us safe as we speak. All right, let me just keep going through some of these comments. We're going to get to the next news uh, story here. Uh, the freedom that, uh, Pauline says, the freedom that the West strives for now is actually slavery to your emotions and desires. 
And uh, I'm with you 100% on that, Pauline. 100%. We're going <laughs> to... You're preaching to the choir. Of course, I know you're not just preaching to me. Next on the news story, I want to talk a little bit too about Elon Musk and Bill Gates. They're having a little bit of a Twitter dust up. Elon Musk came out. Uh, so, so Bill Gates was making some comments on electric vehicles and he's saying, yeah, you know, he thinks electric vehicles are great. But when he was talking about um, uh, long-term, long-distance hauling, you know, these big kind of tractor trailers, he's saying, no, electric won't work for that. Gates is saying the batteries are too big and heavy. It's never going to work. It's not economical. The, the, the uh, science isn't there. The technology isn't there. So we've got to find a different way to come up with uh, like long-haul trucking when it comes to electric. And Elon Musk <laughs> got on Twitter and says he's clueless about electric trucks. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's kind of interesting to see this back and forth. Now, what, what I, I want to bring this up because... Um, yeah, and Zoltan says Tesla literally has. And that's right. Now, Tesla has kind of launched, I'll say, this big electric uh, tractor trailer. It was supposed to hit the streets, the markets, uh, 2019. They're behind schedule. And I think they've rescheduled for like 2021, I want to say. So maybe next year, the following year. But they are working away on these things. You know, clearly, if anybody knows the battery technology, it's going to be Elon and his team. Uh, I, the thing I was going to say about this isn't so much like who's right, who's wrong, but I, you know, there's this thing with Bill Gates. It, Bill Gates is, is got more, he's got more money than Croesus. He's, he's rich. And Microsoft is and was a giant, giant software company, massive. I mean, if you're on the PC side of the world, you can't live without Microsoft. And quite frankly, there was a time when Apple was about to go under that, um, that uh, Microsoft, uh, they, I think they bought like 25% of Apple's stock at one point. Like they helped keep the company going uh, about 20, 30 years ago. But here's the thing. If you look at Microsoft's track record, this is not a company that's like innovative. This is not a company that's like crushed it time after time, giving us these fantastic products, solving amazing problems. Microsoft is that company that like, like Microsoft to me is like a government run company. Like it's a lot of bureaucracy. Their code is always bloated. Their, their software tries to solve too many problems. They don't have enough limitations on their design team. You know, you work with any of the Microsoft uh, suite, you know, Word, Excel, all that. It's like, it's just too much. It's like bloated, feature-rich, confusing, ugly-ass software. It's like terrible. I hate Microsoft products. Now, they have had some good products. And I used to work on PCs, so it's not like I have no understanding of Microsoft and their products. But um, it's funny to hear a guy like Bill Gates, who ran a company that was hugely successful, made tons and tons and tons of money, but I don't think ever really delivered a stellar product. I mean, I know that the Zune, uh, the Microsoft Zune, which was their audio player, was an actually pretty good player from a lot of people's uh, perspective. They loved it. it. It never made it, like it never blew up and went big. And that, you know, and that's, that's a battle between Microsoft and Apple that Apple won. Um, but... Microsoft, I, I, I'm pressed to think of a really fantastic product that Microsoft innovated, created, and gave to the marketplace. And I'll, and I'll ask the folks in the chat right now, do you, can you think of something that Microsoft put together that was like, wow, that was phenomenal? And it's probably there. I mean, I, I'll, I'm happy to be corrected, but it's just interesting to hear a guy like Bill Gates, who's now you know retired, he's on the global stage, he's part of the Do, uh, Doha crowd, you know, he's, he's hobnobbing, he's working on viruses and trying to warn us about pandemics. And he's going to become our, 
you know, our global daddy uh, under the one world government, make sure that we're safe and doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, uh, let me just take a quick, uh, Pauline says that those are two minds that I feel should work together if possible. Yeah, they are great. They're both great minds. The thing is, um, I think Elon got snubbed by Gates and Gates, his Gates first electric vehicle was not a Tesla. It was a, it was a Porsche. Uh, was it the Taycan? I forgot how to pronounce that, but that Porsche Taycan, I think was, or Taycan, Taycan, I don't know how you say it, but Porsche has this, uh, or Porsche, excuse me, has this, um, kind of SUV, sport SUV that's electric, beautiful looking car. And, um, or I might be mixing up the body style, but it's a beautiful looking car. Well, yeah, it's a sports car actually. And that was Gates' first one. So I think, I think, uh, I think Elon was a little put out that he didn't buy a Tesla first. But anyway, there's been a little bit of a back and forth. These two guys have had some words for each other. And um, yeah, so Pauline says, Zoom has entered the chat. You're talking about, you're not talking about Zoom, the video chat platform. You're talking about Zoom, I think, I think. And Zoltan agrees. He's, he says that uh, Microsoft has lots of failed products. They absolutely do. And they had this practice, and people still do it, uh, where if they heard you were developing something that was kind of innovative, they would actually announce, oh my gosh, we're going to come out with a product that does the same thing. And then, of course, the market would go, well, Microsoft is so big. Why would I want to buy your product? Let's wait to see what Microsoft does. Meanwhile, your product dies. It's vaporware is what they call that. And then Microsoft never comes out with it. They just do this vaporware to make sure that nobody did anything innovative. I mean, there's a company that would just try to stifle innovation. So for Gates to come out and go, oh, yeah, um, it's never going to work. Well, what does Gates know about any of this? Not that Elon can do no wrong. Look, Tesla's got to get its act together, too. There's some areas that it... But it's a growing company. It's not perfect. And it's just kind of funny. So I love that Elon kind of pushed back and said, well, you're clueless. And I think that's good. I think it's good for people like Bill Gates to hear that. You and I hear that on a daily basis. You and I hear that all the time. We go about our life and we find out the hard way that there's stuff we just don't know about. We understand how to stay in our lane and so on. But... Uh, what about guys like Bill Gates? Who tells Bill Gates he's clueless? So another tech giant has to do that, and Elon has done so. It's kind of fun uh, to see to see the two titans of industry kind of knock heads. And I don't mind seeing Bill Gates being cut down a notch right now, especially with all the COVID stuff and the vaccines. And I'm just a, I'm not thinking that Gates is going to chip us all with his vaccine, but I just I don't like how the Gates Foundation is on this do good. Um, you know, this do good crusade and they're inoculating children in Africa. Like they're, they've got their fingers in a little too deeply uh, into innocent people's lives beyond just Microsoft uh, XP or whatever. Hey, George says that he thinks Windows 10 is not so bad. Hey, that's great. I mean, it's, I'm glad they finally got there. I, and I'm not like, I'm not hostile to Microsoft, but it's like if Gates is going to talk smack about uh, electric technology, I think he's got to show a little depth in it. And if I look at the company that he owned and ran for many years that he founded, it just isn't known for being innovative. I, I don't know that it, it's more known for playing it safe, for being bureaucratic, to, for being slow. And just it, the only reason it's so successful is it was massive. It just got itself insinuated into every PC possible. And that's what let it win. And, and good for him. I mean, that's a, that's a legit strategy. But then don't style yourself as a, a prophet of technology. You're going to look out onto the vast horizon and tell us what to expect. I remember he wrote a book. I've got it somewhere probably. Uh, I read it like in the 90s or maybe early 2000s. 
But he, he wrote this book about innovation, talking about the internet and stuff. It was just so funny. Bill Gates, the philosopher. So God bless him. I mean, I don't have anything against Bill Gates. Well, I do, but you know, nothing I'm going to make a big deal about, but it's just kind of funny to see that. Uh, Zoltan says that Windows is awesome since XP, not Vista. Fair enough. And he also says that the Taycan doesn't even have a web browser. There you go. Like uh, uh, the Teslas have a web browser, but Taycan doesn't even have a web browser. But there you go. Maybe Bill Gates doesn't want a web browser. He's like, look, I, I founded, I created a web browser, Microsoft Exploder, and I'm bitter that uh, it, it's not in use anymore. And so I just don't ever want to see another web browser. I don't know how you get by without a web browser, but Pauline says, I love my Windows phone. It had poor support uh, from app developers, though. Fair enough. And George says, Vista and Windows 8 were really bad. Oh, and here's the explanation. Pauline was saying Zoom, successful this year. Where was Skype? That's right. Microsoft owns Skype. Now, they didn't create Skype. One program, one, a couple apps that Microsoft owned that I really do like so one is called Mile IQ. I use it to track my mileage as a business owner. I travel, and I don't want to have to sit writing my mileage. For those of you not in America, the way that you get paid, uh, you, you know, you write off your car is you track the mileage, your business mileage, and the government has like a federally acceptable number that they modify from time to time per mile. Right now, it's 0.575 cents per mile, and that covers your fuel, wear and tear, et cetera. So I do a fair amount of driving for business. So I use um, Mileage IQ or Mile IQ. It's a pretty good app. Works really well. It's just the phone's tracking me everywhere I go, letting Bill Gates know at any time where he can find me. And uh, the other one that I think that they own that's really good is they own LinkedIn. But again, they didn't found LinkedIn. They didn't build it. They just bought it. And to me, that's, uh, that's not innovation. That's just, again, um, a behemoth snapping up opportunity. Nothing wrong with that, but that's what it is. Okay, Pauline says, we use Microsoft S. Uh, teams at work, it's pretty handy. Yeah. All right, so that's that. Let's jump in uh, to the next uh, news story here, which I thought was kind of interesting. And that is that the IRS came out on uh, just a few days ago, I think on September 11th, and offered kind of a, a grant or a prize to any developer that can provide a working prototype that will allow them to track payments made by people that are using Bitcoin. And uh, let me look at the other. The, there was a second, uh, Monero and Lightning. So essentially, and I'll just read this um, uh, real quick. The United States Internal Revenue Service has offered a bounty of up to $625,000 to anyone who can break purportedly untraceable privacy coins, such as Monero, also known as XMR, as well as trace transactions on Bitcoin's Lightning Network. So the official proposal was published last week. Uh, says the IRS, it will accept submissions in the form of working prototypes until September 16th. If accepted, applicants will receive the initial payment of $500,000. That's half a million dollars for those of you uh, listening. And if they continue to go on with it, they'll pay you another 165 or 125,000, bringing the total up to $625,000. Now, I found this kind of interesting. There's, there's troubling on one hand because this is the IRS criminal investigation unit saying, we're offering money to anybody that can help us track untraceable transactions. Now, their argument for this is, well, we're doing this because we want to. Um, use it to stop criminals that are doing things like drugs and, and uh, 
you know, child trafficking and so on. Everybody's like, hey, we're down with that. But, but, we're, but what I don't like about this, I, and I don't know how much, you know, criminals are using these coins for what they do. What I don't like about this is this is really the government just saying, I want to make sure I can track every penny that you move around. And so if you're using Bitcoin, we're going to know. We're going to have software that we own that'll track every transaction and we can then uh, make sure that we get our piece of that revenue because um, we deserve it. We're the government. So anyway, it was just kind of interesting. The other thing I found a little suspicious was they announced this thing like on September 11th and they're accepting working applications, which has to be a working prototype up to September 16th. So they got a five-day window. So they've come out and said, we want to be able to track this stuff. We've got a five-day window where you can submit a working prototype. It just seems weird to me. Like, how long would it take for someone to put a working prototype together? So that tells me one of two things. They already are aware of working prototypes, and they created this grant just to start to get um, those people paid. Or maybe they've got a contractor already working on it, and so they put this out there just so that they can cross their T's and dot their I's to say, yeah, we did it the legal way. We put it out to tender. Uh, but it sounds to me that they're heavily at work. I mean, five-day window, if you announce this thing, someone's going to come up with a working prototype to track supposedly untraceable currency exchanges. Uh, good luck. So this has to be something that's already in play, but I thought that was kind of interesting. And then lastly, in our news, let's talk about Peloton. 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 Uh, their sales have surged 172 percent since the pandemic. It's the first quarter that they've actually been profitable. And the only reason I bring up Peloton is because I did a video on them, oh, towards the end of last year, the beginning of this year. They kind of got uh, mocked because they had some ad with a woman working out on her bike. And a lot of people were upset because they thought it made the woman look weak. They were hostile about this. The woman actually was good-natured, the actress. She went on national TV, I think, uh, Ryan, um, oh, shoot, I'm going to go blank now. What's his name? Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, interviewed. She got to meet Ryan Reynolds on live TV. It was kind of a funny moment. She was great. The actress was great. He was great. And she just said, yeah, it's just my face. I just had this very concerned look. But the, a lot of people complained because said the ad made her look like she just was begging for her husband's approval. And so she was on this bicycle just to get skinny and people, you know, oh, you're fat shaming and so on. It was pathetic. It was actually a pretty good uh, commercial. I defended it. I thought that Peloton did a good job addressing its audience. It wasn't trying to address the whole world. Anyway, the, the company, which is publicly traded, just turned a profit, 172% increase. They're struggling actually to get product out the door in time because of supply chain and demand and so on. They're expecting a moderate increase to sales, but it's been wacky. And now they're expecting those sales to keep going. So kind of interesting there. Guys, we've been talking news maybe longer than I expected to. I want to jump over to the next segment, and that is to talk about Lululemon, or Lulu's Lemons, as I titled the, uh, as I titled the podcast. My wife, when she heard the title for today, just looked at it and rolled her eyes. She's like, what is wrong with you? You're like a nine-year-old child. She didn't say that, but I could, I could, I sensed that. I could read that, that thought uh, as I looked at her beautiful, beautiful face. <laughs> and I shared the name of the podcast, Lulu's Lemons. I want to talk about Lululemon a little bit here, and I'm going to, I'm going to put the um, uh, sits up straight. That's right. Sits up straight. I am, uh, by the way, Pauline just said sits up straight. That's me. I, I had to straighten my back. And so I want to, I'm going to put the, 
uh, news story on the browser here, hold on the screen. Bear with me one second. You should be able to see this. I'm going to zoom in a little bit so it's a little bit more legible. Um, so it's kind of funny. Uh, and, and I'll show you in just a second here, but Lululemon, billion-dollar Lululemon under fire for promoting Resist Capitalism event. And, um, oh, Pauline said she's talking about herself, sits up straight. So now we're going to talk about Lululemon, and you're going to sit up straight. Gotcha. So, they, so they're under fire, billion-dollar Lululemon under fire. You know, I always want to call it Lululemon. I want to give it like a little bit of panache, Lululemon. It just sounds like it should be pronounced that way. Uh, it looks like it should be pronounced that way, but it's just Lululemon. And I think the founder, Chip Wilson, uh, back in 1988, we were all worried about the Japanese taking over our, our North American companies. Came up with the name Lululemon because he knew that there was no L in the Japanese alphabet, that they didn't pronounce the, sound, the L sound. And so he thought, if I call it something with a lot of L's in it, it'll make it hard for them to, to create a knockoff product. They can't, they can't do that. And yeah, Pauline, thank you for, um, I, I gotcha. I'm sorry. I'm just spacing because it's the live stream. But Pauline's pointing out, uh, I'm not talking about me. She says, uh, Lululemon, as I will now say, is from Vancouver, Canada. And of course, Pauline is hailing from Vancouver, Canada. So your uh, company, although global, now it's a, it's a multinational, is based in uh, Canada, in uh, Victoria, um, not Victoria, in um, Vancouver, and is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So this is a pretty big company. So I want to show you here in just a second, if I can find it, um, I'm going to take this off the screen and we'll go back to this here. But I'm going to show you in just a moment. Uh, Lululemon had a post recently on uh, Instagram. Now, they've taken this post off since then, but they had a post on Instagram and it was promoting this kind of uh, resist capitalism event. And they got a lot of... Got a lot of um, uh, we'll call it, a mo you know, mocking, pushback, whatever. Let me just jump over to that. Let me just bring that back up. I want to show you this, this, uh, this thing because it's kind of funny. Bear with me as I try to figure out the technology. I need, I need a director. Someone has to sit here and direct for me. So I'm going to bring this over. So if you can see this on the screen, essentially this was their Instagram post. And it says decolonizing gender. And it shows this kind of laughing woman who is this uh, Rebby, Rebby Kern who's going to run this event. It's set for Thursday, September 17th. And it says decolonizing gender, a workshop to unveil historical erasure and resist capitalism. So decolonizing gender, a workshop to unveil historical erasure and resist capitalism. And of course, the Internet went nuts through this. So they say in their little comment next to this Instagram post, tap through for this week's five to follow for your mind. Five to follow is a series that they do for your mind, body, and soul. Discover members of our collective. Oh, we're so Che Guevara, aren't we? Of our collective who are changing the status quo and bringing the sweat life to their communities. So they got a lot of pushback and they deleted this post. But essentially, there's this, um, this article here. This one is in... The Guardian, 
But billion-dollar Lululemon under fire for promoting resist capitalism event. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, look, we're trying to bring equity, gender equity, racial equity. We're Black Lives Matter. We're against all these gender stereotypes. Colonialism has imposed upon us this horrible way of living. And capitalism specifically is terrible. Capitalism is terrible. And we must resist capitalism. We must resist capitalism. Now, let me tell you something. Let me just tell you a little bit about Lululemon. Lululemon, and you can see it here in this um, article by The Guardian. Lululemon valued $45 billion U.S., $45 billion U.S. Lululemon, $45 billion. That's their valuation publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and they're, and they're they're valued at $45 billion. They, they make billions of dollars a year. Do you know how much a pair of pants costs when you buy a pair of pants from Lululemon? About $120, $130 U.S. So here's, here's the funny thing about this, and, and I want to kind of use this as a setup. Not that, that there's a big you know, grand slam or anything, but you've got a publicly traded company making millions and billions of dollars a year. They're global. They're all over the world. Founded in 1988 by Chip Wilson. They went public in 2007. Uh, Chip was kicked out in 2015. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But Chip has a history of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. So here's this kind of big, burly guy, big outdoorsman, and uh, he's making yoga pants. If you guys know what Lululemon is, they make yoga pants and whatnot. For, for the women's, and, um, and, and men can buy their products now, too. But Chip had some comment on public television once. He said something to the effect of, yeah, our clothes aren't made for certain women body types. And he was talking about women whose thighs rub together. The clothes don't work for them. <laughs> now, I think he was trying to talk about, like, the technical limitations of the clothing, that the materials and whatnot, if your thighs rub together over time, the clothes are going to, you know, they're, they're going to fail. But, you know, that's just, it's just like a, <laughs> it's not a good look. I'm sorry. It's just not a good look to say that kind of thing that like there's certain women that should not buy our products, especially if they've got big thighs that rub together. And so that was kind of the last straw. He got pushed out. He stepped down as chairman, et cetera. He's not involved with the company at all. I don't even know if he's, maybe he's got some stock, but he was out. And um, it's just kind of funny. By the way, Doughboy Biscuit said, never heard of Lululemon. Well, you know, you live a blessed life. Uh, you've seen Lululemon. Essentially, Lululemon is is activewear, and there's a whole you know it's like an activewear company. They make skin tight clothing. You've seen girls in yoga pants, you, hot pants, yoga pants. You hear these, you see these girls getting their lattes with their yoga pants on, and their um, and their in their what are those boots that uh, were all the rage for a while? I forget these like kind of Australian brand boots that the girls would wear when they go get their Starbucks, the basic girl look. But anyway, uh, Lululemon, uh, this athletic wear or athletic stylish, you know, clothing, uh, they're really well known for this. They become huge. I mean, it's a lifestyle brand. And, and, and what you see with these companies, and it's very similar to Nike, where Lululemon is not just selling a product on its technical uh, prowess, on its technical superiority, on its technical uh, advances, innovations, and so on. They've become a lifestyle brand. Nike's done the same thing. It's a lifestyle brand. You're living the, the Nike lifestyle. All the sporting brands do this. This is all about lifestyle. And um, so Lululemon 
has for a while, but they've really seemed to ramp it up. They've been kind of socially conscious, very woke, very social justice warrior-ish. Um, you know, they've, they've been giving a ton of money to Black Lives Matter. If you look on their website, it's kind of funny. Like, if you look on their website, if you look at their catalog, all the models are these skinny, wayfish white women. All the models. There's, har- there's hardly any models in the catalog of color, of different sizes, and so on. They're all these pretty trim women wearing tight leggings. But if you look at all their marketing imagery, all their banner images, all the secondary tertiary level images on their website, they're all women of color, all girls with, you know, they're pretty girls, kinky hair, different body styles, but they're all women of color, whether they're black, whether they're Asian, whether they're Latina, whatever they are, they're just all these different women. There's like no white people on the website except for in the catalog. And that tells me, and, I'm in, and I, I know that actually Lululemon has been pretty good over the last, and I say pretty good, not meaning that I'm commending them, but over the last few years, they've been pretty consistent in their support of social issues. But it looks to me like somebody jumped in there and said, quick, we need to do a super photo shoot. We need to replace all the photographs of white people with people of color. We need to jump on this bandwagon. Now, the, I'm going to read a couple comments here. Meme V, he's referring back, or she here, she's referring back to, to Microsoft talking about Vista. Uh, um, Pauline says, they are big in North America and Asia. We're talking Lululemon now. Uh, they're trying to push the men's line now a lot more. Lots of opinions, options on that side now. That's right. I noticed that. And it's interesting. They're running these campaigns where, like, they're trying to show that everything in your life is activity. It's not just yoga. It's just not just workouts. They show a guy, like, they've got this one commercial of a guy, um, uh, hip-hop kind of freestyling. It's not even a good freestyle. It stinks, quite frankly. But he's doing it in his Lululemon pants. So that's, like, the pants are made for freestyling. Like, he can make all these movements. They've got another person, um, I think, doing parkour in Lululemon. It's like it's lifestyle now. These pants are made for doing various activities, not just hitting the yoga mat. And uh, kind of funny. So Pauline says, since the George Floyd incident, they have ramped up the diversity push. And that's what I inferred from what I was looking at. I think the same thing. Um, and Meme 5 says, sorry, or Meme V, I wasn't live, so was a bit behind. No problem, dude. Glad to have you along. And uh, welcome to the show. Glad to see you come back. So yeah, so here's wh- what's kind of ironic, right? And it's not just the irony. Lululemon, publicly traded companies saying we need to resist capitalism. Now let that sink in for a minute. This is a company that's worth tens of billions. The market cap is, well, it was $45 billion. I think it's down to like $39 billion or $40 billion. It's dropped. Market cap's dropped. But Lululemon has exploded over the course of the pandemic. Lots of people indoors, and they've been really successful at selling their line of clothing as people want to find ways to exercise at home, do yoga, do calisthenics do kind of like living room style exercises, isometric uh, resistance exercises, stretching and so on. And I would imagine too, it's just comfortable clothes to knock around the house. And uh, if you're an Instagrammer (laughs) and and you've got a good figure, uh, I think Lululemon's also attractive for you there. But they've really done well. I mean, their stock has like doubled or tripled over the last while. They're, They're selling, they're doing really well. I mean, it's a very successful, very profitable company. And you're right, since the George Floyd incident, they've ramped up. Now, they have before that, and I think some of this was a reaction to the founder, Chip Wilson's 
insensitive comments. I think they made a, a really aggressive push to become more sensitive, more inclusive, more thoughtful. And they had some scandals. You know, some of their clothing uh, was being made in, in sweatshops with horrendous, horrendous um, uh, working environment, working conditions, people living like slaves. And if you look at that, I mean, it's like people being treated like animals to make clothing for very wealthy uh, people on the other side to wear and feel good about themselves as they get a latte. So there's this narrative that, that Lululemon is trying to spin, and that is that they're woke, that they're socially conscious, that they're for people that want social justice. They're for people who are aware of themselves, their sexuality, you know, their position, their intersectionality, this whole identity politics thing. They're all about that. And they're all about resisting capitalism. You know, I looked up this this uh, Rebbe Kern, this yoga person, and uh, Rebbe Kern's about page reads like, uh, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. I'll bring it up on the screen real quick here. We can read it together. Here it is. Rebbe Kern. So I'm just going to read this for the listeners. Rebbe Kern, and then in parentheses it says, they, them, is a wandering spirit shining light into the lives of others. Rebbe's personal mission is to operate from connection, seeking justice and empower voices. Um, Rebbe generates space for connection, empowerment and self-discovery through their 10 years and LGBTQ activism, drawing connections to the yoga world and uplifting experiences of marginalized identity, identities, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it goes on and on, but I want to just read this one thing here. Rebbe... In 2019, Rebbe was selected as one of the first Lululemon ambassadors for the newest Charlotte, uh, Charlotte store, Atherton Mill. As a Lululemon ambassador, Rebbe is able to lead in power in the Charlotte community and beyond. Rebbe is the first non-binary person of color to represent Lululemon in the region and continues to uplift voices of LGBTQ and BIPOC people who often don't find themselves represented within the Lululemon brand. Lululemon, <laughs> as we like to say on the show. Anyway, so this Rebbe is the person that was going to run this Resist Capitalism workshop. Here's what I find kind of ironic about all this, and, I, and, and I'm already touching on it, but you, and you can see Rebbe's uh, workshop here. What I find ironic is just that you've got this multi-billion dollar publicly traded company telling us how they're going to help us resist capitalism. And the thing about that is if you were to say, I want to resist capitalism because capitalism is the problem with the world, capitalism is what's caused all these problems. What is the pinnacle of capitalism? What is the pinnacle kind of entity that capitalism has given us? It is the publicly traded company. The publicly traded company is the essence of capitalism. You know, me running a little entrepreneurial venture, a little free market thing as a consultant, maybe I've got an agency with a few employees, maybe you're running a business, maybe like George, you're running a hotel in the beautiful, beautiful mountains of Austria. Uh, maybe like Pauline, uh, Pauline, you mentioned a partner. I don't know if you've got, uh, if you're into athletic training or I don't know what you do over there, but if you're watching the stream and you're in business for yourself, you are not the pinnacle of capitalism. We're just little free market folks, just, just having the freedom to take what we have developed as our skills and the gifts that we've been given and use them to constructively generate wealth for ourselves and those that we love. 
But when it comes to capitalism, the publicly traded company is the pinnacle. It is the piece des resistants. It is the opus magnum of capitalism. Because you have here an entity, a, a being respected by the laws of the land as an entity with rights, inalienable rights. It's a company. It's not even a person, but it's treated like a person with inalienable rights that it can do certain things. It has the right to do things. It has the right to make a profit. It has legal protections. And at the same time, that entity provides protection for those that own it. And not only that, not only that, there's a corporate veil protecting the owners from liability. So if the entity does something bad or wrong, the people that own a stake in the entity are not responsible. They're not going to, if, if a publicly traded company goes under, they're not taking your house away. They're not taking, you know, your, your finances. They're not going to make you pay for it. They can go bankrupt and you can go on with your life. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal innovation in the, in the, in the, in the creation of wealth. But add to that another important factor, and that is uh, that a publicly traded company is available for anyone to buy stock. So in my company, Mike Gaston Limited, it's an S-Corp, anybody interested, you can't just come and buy a chunk of Mike Gaston Limited. You can't buy a chunk of my corporation. You don't have access to it. It's a privately owned, privately run company, privately held. I am the shareholder. I might have some partners. I don't, but I might have some partners. Uh, we might own the stock together, but it's a closed company. It's not open to anybody else. But a publicly traded company is on the stock market, and this is the genius of it. No matter how savvy I am with business, no matter how good I am, it's going to be, it's the rare company, the, the privately held, privately owned company that gets to the stratosphere of a global corporation like a Lululemon. I just love saying it that way. Please forgive me. If it's obnoxious, I apologize. So, so the real innovation and the pinnacle of capitalism is the publicly traded company. And here we have Lululemon, an example of that pinnacle telling us how we're going to decolonize gender and we're going to resist capitalism. It's, it's, it's idiotic. Now, I'm not on here just to drag Lululemon. What I find interesting is what this infers, what this tells us. And that is that we are the problem. It's not Lululemon. Yes, Lululemon's bad. And this manipulation is unconscionable. It's embarrassing. They should be ashamed of themselves. And by the way, uh, I, I want to back up a little bit. Um, Lululemon's uh, brand officer, I looked at it, I'm like, well, who's the marketing person? Her name is Nikki Newberger. Nikki Newberger. And, and, and I don't think Nikki's a bad person. This isn't, I'm not putting her out there to... But she joined them January 2020. Now, Nikki's background, she was a marketing, head of marketing global for Uber Eats for about almost two years, not quite. But for, I want to say 14 years, she worked for Nike as vice president global brand marketing for running. She was the vice president global brand marketing for all the running products. And why I bring this up is, uh, Nike genius when it comes to lifestyle branding. And I think that Nikki's probably brought some of this insight. But, it, but I think the person behind these kinds of positioning, this let's jump on the person of color bandwagon, let's jump on the social justice bandwagon. I think what, what Nikki and her team are trying to do is to say, look, our target market, these are the things they care about. And so we're going to position the brand around this lifestyle, it's not just the workout lifestyle. It's not the healthy lifestyle. The world's changing. We need to get on the bandwagon. 
And it's all about social justice. It's all about uh, being thoughtful. It's all about they, them. And I think this is what's going on here. But, but the, I think the problem, and where I was going before I inserted some info about this marketing director, is it's more with us. And why I say that is this is a brand trying to help its target market find an identity. People, you know, we're all brand conscious. I, I like certain brands. You know, I, I'm buying a pair of sneakers. I'm kind of looking at the brand. Is this a brand I like? Do I trust this brand? Does this brand kind of say something about me? Does it say the right things about me? We all, whether we know it or not, I think in terms of brands that way. Now, this is an innovation. Brands were not a thing 100, 200 years ago, but they are now. This is just where we are. I'm not going to comment good, bad, should we get rid of branding? It is what it is. But, but when a brand like a Lululemon or a Nike or Gillette or whoever tries to start helping us find our identity in the brand, we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with us? Why are we so insecure? Are we identity-less? Are we people without identities? Are we people that don't know who we are? When we look in the mirror, have we so destroyed our institutions? Have we so destroyed the family ties? Have we so destroyed what it means to be of a certain culture, of a certain people, of a certain nation, of a certain tribe? Have we so unraveled that and got down to the individual level? You're just an individual. You can be whatever you want to be. You're a blank canvas. We're coming back to the art now. You're a blank canvas. You can be whatever you want to be. You want to be non-binary? That's your choice. You want to be, you, you just choose what you're going to be and, and we will support that. You are a blank canvas. And so what we get are these mega corporations, these giant kind of entities, not kind of, that come out of capitalism. You can't have Lululemon without capitalism. You absolutely cannot have Lululemon without filthy lucre and capitalism. You just can't have it. It doesn't exist without it. And yet here it is telling us it's going to help us resist capitalism. Why? Because it really thinks capitalism is bad? Absolutely not. Because it's trying to imbue a certain identity into us. It's trying to insinuate itself so that we find our identity in their $130 yoga pants. Now, am I anti-capitalism? Absolutely not. But I'm anti-schmuck. And this is the problem. The, we, we have allowed our companies to be devoid of morals. We've allowed our society to become devoid of morals. We're not holding each other accountable. We're not demanding more from each other. We're not demanding more from Netflix. We're not demanding that they do things that are right. Because as a society, we said, well, there is no right. There is no wrong. It's all what you interpret. And I, I, think, I think that you know, there's, there needs to be a discussion about what do we expect from our brands? What do we expect from companies? And I think at the end of the day, it's not so much that they shouldn't be allowed to have social discourse. They shouldn't be allowed to get into those arenas. They shouldn't make political comments. I don't, I don't see it as an issue of regulation. I see it as an issue of truth. The more that we as a society, as individuals, as groups of people demand truth, necessary, objective truth, not your truth versus my truth, the more we demand, the more we seek out truth, the more we want to order our lives around truth, then we just hold 
those around us, the institutions, the brands, the corporations, friends, family, so on, we hold them accountable to that. I'm not talking about scientific truth, the data shows, the data shows. I don't, I don't, I don't mean this, let's deconstruct and, and, and decompose things down to its, its most minimal data point. But there are things that are true about the human experience that, that our ancestors have known for centuries. Our ancestors knew that limitations are actually good, they're healthy. They provide opportunity. Our ancestors know that opposition, struggle, and pain actually help form character. Our ancestors knew that children were worth protecting, keeping innocent, but they were also ready for responsibility, healthy responsibility. There are things that our ancestors knew. And, you know, is it, is it really capitalism's fault or is capitalism a mirror? Is it, is it a mirror reflecting back who we have become as a society? I think the hardest thing to do is to look in the mirror. We're always pointing fingers, looking for someone that we can blame. It's got to be someone else's fault. The people on the Trump side of the aisle are pointing fingers at the left. The people on the left are pointing fingers at the people on the right. I think that there are some truths to some of those finger pointing. I think that there have been things that have been wrong. I'm not trying to say, oh, if we could all just get along. Nobody wants to look in the mirror. That's one of the things that Jordan Peterson was really good at. He was saying, hey, before you start pointing a finger at everybody else, look in the mirror and deal with yourself first. Become a person of substance. Become a person of competence. Prove to yourself in the world that you know how to make your bed, that you know how to take care of your own affairs before you go out and start telling everybody else what they should be doing. So it's just very interesting to me. I know I've gotten, this has been kind of like a heavy handed, <laughs> I've been like ranting and raving, but we are not blank canvases. We are defined, whether we like it or not, by our families, by where we grow up, by our nations, by our languages, by our cultures. We are defined by these things. I'm not saying that we're captive by, you know, that we're slaves to them. There's a mix of nurture and nature. I mean, that just is what it is. There's a mix. And, and we are defined by the choices that we make and the actions, of course. You have, you've been given a certain deck of cards to play, but not everybody has the same deck. Everybody's deck is different. And at the end of the day, it's what do you do with that deck that makes a difference? It's, that's the person you become. And for a giant $45 billion, $40 billion publicly traded global company that sells $130 stretch pants to tell us that they're going to share with us how to resist capitalism and to decolonize gender, it's laughable. And we can laugh at them, and we should. We should ridicule them. We should laugh at them because that is a great way to deal with nonsense. One of the best ways to deal with nonsense is to laugh at it. But on the other hand, we should look in the mirror. And this isn't, I'm not pointing, for, I'm looking at myself. I said to you earlier, I'm questioning my own language. Why do I swear so much? Why do I revert to communicating my thoughts and feelings through cursing? It's intellectually lazy. It's, it's, it's coarse. It's, it's unimaginative. And on top of that, I call myself a Christian. I should be speaking in a way that communicates that and, and represents that reality to the world. I shouldn't allow myself to become debased that way. That's for me to wrestle with. We've all got something. I wish swearing was the worst of my problems, quite frankly. <laughs> I'd be this far from perfection. But, uh, but that's my thought. I, I would just encourage you today, and this isn't meant to be a downer. I think this can be liberating because once we see these things, we can overcome them. Once we see these things, we can become better, stronger, uh, we, we can make him faster. It's like the $6 million man, right? We can rebuild him. Everybody remember that? 
I used to love that show. The Bio- Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. Those were the two shows. They, they were great. Uh, 70s, uh, American 70s pro, uh, television. But I think once we see kind of through this, once you see that, that the Wizard of Oz, you see behind the curtain and it's just a little man pulling the levers, that liberates you to say, well, I've got it within me. I don't need Lululemon, L- Lululemon <laughs> to define who I am. And you can look at society and feel bad. You should, we should be feeling bad for the people that are embracing the Lululemon lifestyle and buying into this. Who's buying into this to drive $45 billion in market capitalization and valuation? Who's, who's buying into this to that degree? Somebody is. More than one. It's, 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 we should feel bad for these people. They're, they're, you know, you watch The Matrix and the, the initial, you know, like, whoa, that blows your brain is when uh, you realize that all these people are plugged into The Matrix. They're just batteries. They're all imagining the lives they're living. That they're, it's actually this very depressing, dark, just endless horror show of people in these pods plugged into the machine, um, providing electricity to run all the machines. And they don't even realize that they're plugged in. You know, Neo gets woken up, this very Gnostic kind of theme there. Uh, I'm not a Gnostic, but it's fascinating. But I, I feel like that's kind of a thing. Like all these people who say they're woke, they're saying, I'm woke, I'm woke. It's like they're not woke. But I don't, I don't think that just because you're on the left, you're, you're in a stupor. I think we can be in a stupor on the right. I think you can be in a stupor on both sides. So the question is, who, you know, where do you get your identity from? Who, who provides your identity? Who are you? Are you defined by your brands? There's nothing wrong with enjoying brands. There's nothing wrong by, by saying this makes me happy. It makes me feel good. I get that. But at the least, at the very least, we have to understand that that's what we're doing. As a massive swath of, of Western civilization that is uh, not aware. They're just, they're just in the midst of it. And these are people that are not living life on their own terms. They're not living a completely free life. And, um, and I think it behooves us to figure out how to be free, how to stay free from that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my thought. And, and I, I hope that that's encouraging. I know it can be a little discouraging in some ways. But take a moment, think about your own life and take a look at it. Now, I'm going to wrap up the podcast, but I'm going to stick around because I want to do some Q&A with the gang online. We've had a great uh, opening session before we started the podcast, and I want to continue that. But guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Leave a comment. If you listen to this on like Apple or Spotify or so on, uh, or other um, platforms, do me a favor, leave a review, throw some stars at it. it. It helps other people find it. It lets the algorithm know like this is a show of substance and value. It me would mean a lot to me if you would just take a moment and do that. If you're on uh, Facebook, I'm sorry, if you're on YouTube, you could do the same thing. And before we, before we wrap this up, I do have one question for everybody. And that is, um, I'm thinking about creating a Facebook group, maybe create a little bit of a community offline uh, from the live stream. Let me know in the comments. If you're on YouTube watching this, let me know in the comments. You can let me know in the stream right now. Would you be interested in that? Would you like to have a, a little Facebook group that would be invitation only? It wouldn't just be wide open that, that we could interact. Um, kind of kicking that around. A friend of mine, Mike Sukanko, he was actually an interviewee on the podcast early days. We were talking about that. He says, it might be kind of fun. I know right, I know right now, like it might be a small group, but it might be kind of fun to have a place for people to come together and chit chat about the show and some of the topics. Uh, so we'll do that. Guys, I love you all. I'm grateful for you. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I love to get your feedback on this. Get back in touch with me. Leave comments. You can hit me up on my website. Just go to mikegaston.com. There's a comment, uh, you know, you just hit um, contact box there. 
fill out an email. I'd love to interact with you. Love you guys. And I'll catch you in the next episode.